Oh my god, this is our Christmas episode. Oh, I'm so excited now. I know. Yes. I'm literally like all dressed up for it for a reason. You did. You went all out. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. And welcome back to Dinner and a Murder. Hey, everybody. We're your hosts. I'm Rose. And I'm Chelsea. That, that's Chelsea. We hope everyone had an awesome, awesome, awesome Christmas yesterday. And of course, you're back to listening to our scary and morbid stories to celebrate. Yes. Dang. I mean, you already had enough joy for the year. This is back to us. Yes. So just a couple of things before we jump into our episode. Make sure you're sending us your stories to our email at, what is it, Chelsea? Dinner and a murder pod at gmail.com. Yep, we release the listener episodes on the last Tuesday of every month, which means you should come back in next week on New Year's Eve for our December listener episode. Yay! Yes, the and funnest of course, way to to call out the 2019 year. Is <laughs> I mean, it with seems like and perfect ghosties. way to me. And now we have 14 states. We have listeners we in 14 do. states now, guys. I'm so excited. So exciting. So keep telling your friends and family to listen to us. I'm ready for you to tell me where you ate. I'm ready because I just ate food, so. Awesome. I, I just ate also. But first, first order of business is this. Okay, come in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I got a snort. <laughs> I got a Chelsea snort with the dumbest joke ever at that. <laughs> She's only had a glass and a half of wine, so oh I don't God. know if it's that, guys. <laughs> yes. One down for the books. <sighs> oh, God, if anyone heard me snort, have a shot. Have a shot. It'll be a really slow drinking game because she works very hard not to. I try so hard not she to. She tries so hard. And even when I try, sometimes it doesn't work. When I don't try, it works. <laughs> that makes me smart well, all right let's let's dive in tell me what you let's tell me about some foods so i'm gonna talk about one of my favorite restaurants here in portland which is called deschutes brewery it Ooh. is so awesome i had their beers a lot when i was back in delaware because they distribute all the way out there and i've always loved their beers so when we moved out here it was super exciting for me to go to their brew pub and actually experience everything about it it's super cool it's right in downtown portland it is i don't know how to describe the atmosphere it's just it's really cool in there it's very big and open, kind of an industrial feel like a lot of the other restaurants here in Portland. But at the same time, it's so much different. There's in the very center of the dining area, there's like this giant, I think it's called a pergola. And the stands, like the legs of the pergola are all hand carved totem poles with different animals on them. There's like bears and moose and all kinds of 
northwestern woody animals. What's a pergola? Yeah, so a pergola is an outdoor garden feature forming a shaded walkway, passageway, or sitting area of vertical posts or pillars that usually support cross beams. I was like imagining like a really tiny gazebo. (laughs) I mean, that would be cute, wouldn't it? Um, But no, it's like... It's like one of those things that you see over a fire pit in people's backyards and stuff. Like, it's technically open to the sky, but there's wood slats growing across the top of it. Oh, okay. Um, But anyway, yeah, there's a giant one of those in the middle of the Deschutes dining room. And it's so pretty because all of the poles supporting it are hand-carved totem poles. They're really, really pretty. And then they have a massive bar area. It takes up like a quarter of the whole restaurant. It's massive. It's a huge dining space on its own, let alone the fact that a really big chunk of it is the bar. It's just, it's so big. While I was there, I had their elk burger, which let me just tell you, if you've never had an elk burger before, it is something special. It's not a chicken. <laughs> it is most definitely not a chicken. <laughs> so dumb, I don't no, know why. <laughs> it was, well, for one, it was one of the biggest burgers I'd ever seen. It was huge. And it was an elk burger with Swiss cheese on top, roasted mm. shallot and thyme aioli, and Ooh, beer brined pickles. It's, oh my gosh, I... I don't even know how to describe the flavor of elk. Like, it's one of those things you just have to eat it to understand. But it's it's really different than a beef flavor. It's kind of gamey. It's got, Ooh. I think it's got more flavor than beef. But I really enjoyed it. It was so good. It was so good, in fact, that I left on the greens, which should say something to anyone that knows me. Ew. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I hate vegetables on my sandwiches, if you can't tell. I usually pick off, like, the greens and tomatoes and pickles and stuff. But on this burger, the burger and the aioli and everything was so good that I just left the greens on the burger and ate it all. It was so good. That's crazy, guys. In all my years of knowing Chelsea, she doesn't eat her vegetables. (laughs) I don't. And I take vitamins because I know I'm bad. But this burger was just delicious. And it was served with um, the good, crispy, beer-battered fries Mm. that are just to die for, all crunchy on the outside and soft on the inside. Cream on the inside. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It was so (laughs) amazing. I've been there several times, and I don't think I've ordered anything other than the elk burger. I love it so much. And with it, I had the Deschutes Pilsner. It's it's spelled really funny, actually. It's like da shoots, like to shoot a basketball. Oh, okay. It's that's actually what I thought when you said it. I was like oh, da okay. shoots, but yes, the da shoots pilsner. It was really clean and light. Had a little bit of a citrus taste, but it was light and refreshing. It wasn't you know too bitter or anything. It went perfectly with the burger. It was great. I realize I've talked about. Pilsners a couple times lately, and Pilsners. I know. I feel like I should give it a rest, say, but I really like Pilsners. Pilsners. I have had <laughs> other it. beers there, but that one was probably my favorite. 
Um, the Mirror Pond Pale Ale definitely gets an honorable mention, though. That one was really good. Definitely one of my favorites. Ryan prefers their Black Butte Porter, which is so dark that the light doesn't even shine through it. It's so heavy. It's like a dessert beer all on its own. Ooh. You know how I like my dark beers. <laughs> Why'd you say it like that? I don't know. <laughs> I've had one too many. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Just kidding. So Central. yeah, that is Deschutes Brewery. It's right in downtown Portland. It's within walking distance from Powell's yeah. Books, which is one of my absolute favorite places. And yeah, it's a really open, warm atmosphere. Amazing food. I don't think we've ever had a bad meal there as many times as we've been. And the beers are just awesome you really can't go wrong there i'm sensing a theme with your restaurants tend to always be breweries (laughs) i mean i live in portland is there anything not a brewery you're right you're right Uh sure no doubt no doubt no Um, doubt no doubt (laughs) i actually now want to try an elk burger but you know how i feel about ground meat so it's so good though it's always touch and go with me. Sometimes I don't mind it. Sometimes I do. Like, I like ground lamb now, so hmm. maybe I'll like ground elk. I still don't like too much ground beef unless it's drenched in gravy. Yeah. Gravy. I've, never, I've never had lamb, so I don't know how that compares in flavor. Uh, but. Not really. Uh, it's fucking fantastic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've had Moroccan lamb. I've had uh, shepherd's pie, which is classically made with lamb, so it's pretty pretty bomb to the dot com (laughs) (laughs) oh wow so please uh like and follow our facebook page at damn that's d-a-a-m podcast twitter at damn pod and instagram at dinner and a murder for pictures and more information on things that we talk about today including deschutes brewery and the story that rose is about to tell which is surely going to creep us out you can find those on our website. <sighs> All right, so, so I guess we'll just dig right on in. Just dig right so, in, Rose. Creep so us out. I was like, ooh, I'm going to find a Christmas-themed story to tell because it's Christmas. Unfortunately, there's not too many fun true crime <laughs> Christmas stories. I mean, I don't know what your definition of fun is. murder is not fun murder is not fun unless it's with everyone um wow oh wow (laughs) i don't know that was a really morbid take on the secrets rhyme but i do have a pretty famous one uh i don't know too many people who haven't heard of this but i'm gonna be doing the murder of john bonet ramsey Ooh. It's oh, not John man. Bennett Ramsey, like I thought it was when I first heard about the crime. Mm, no, it's, it's French. Jean Bonnet. Jean Bonnet. Uh, this case, my mom followed it really closely as it was happening because I was almost the same age as her and it really freaked her out. Yeah, she was four years older than us. Mm-hmm. So we were two when it happened. We just turned two when it happened. Fresh little babies. So, I think this one is our most recent case we've done so far. Absolutely, yeah. Let's just dig right on in. All the fun fun and games is over now. So, (laughs) it's all (laughs) down here. Merry Christmas, everyone. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Merry Chrysler. 
John Bonet Patricia Ramsey was born on August 6, 1990, in Atlanta, Georgia, USA. I had like a hard time saying that because we all of our dates have been like 18 something, 14 something. I know. I don't it's think like 18, we've, 19. I think we've only had one case in the 20th century so far. Uh, yeah, one true crime case, I think. Yeah, Richard Speck. Richard Speck. That bastard. Um, all right, let's get into John Bonet. John Bonet was born to John and Patricia known as Patsy Ramsey. Her name is the combination of her father's first and middle name. Uh, like I said earlier, it's not John Bennett, but I also was confused where it came from. And so I thought everybody else who might not have known it, now you know. Uh, then, of course, her middle name comes from her mother's first name. So now you know how she was named. Wow. Uh, John Bonet had an older... Sorry, my lights just like flickered on and I'm like, oop. What's happening? You guys come back to life? Like the lights on um, your antlers or the lights in your room? The Christmas lights in my room that are dying. Oh, that. And they just like came on like full power and then they went back to dead. So <laughs> Try to know. squeeze out that last bit of juice. They're like, resurrection! Um, John Bonet had an older brother, Burke, who was nine years old at the time of her murder. Uh, she When she died, she was enrolled in kindergarten at High Peaks Elementary School. Mm. Yeah, little kindergartner. Um, her father, John, was the president of Axis Graphics, a computer system company. He had two surviving adult children from a previous marriage, though his third child, Elizabeth, died in an accident in 1992. So two years after uh, John Bonet was born, her older sister died. Oh. Patsy was his second wife, and he moved the family to Boulder, Colorado in 1991. They lived in an upper-middle-class neighborhood and were a seemingly normal and happy family. Seemingly? Pat- See- well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean... It wasn't like a foreshadowing. I mean... Seems um, like a every- foreshadowing to me, but... Everything's speculation <laughs> with how their family life was. Patsy entered John Bonet and several beauty pageants in Boulder, and she won several titles. She was a successful beauty pageant contestant, but Patsy was reportedly your stereotypical pageant mother after the murder occurred. These are what the rumors came out. But uh, huh. apparently, John Bonet loved doing beauty pageants. She had just like this charisma on stage that you can't teach somebody. So mm-hmm. apparently she just really enjoyed doing it. She enjoyed the costumes and um, her, by all accounts, didn't seem like her mom was like forcing her to do it. Like she wanted to be there. Yeah. Patsy herself was born on December 29th, 1956. So John Bonet's death would only come a few days before Patsy's 40th birthday. She was born in Gilbert, West Virginia and won the Miss West Virginia pageant at age 20 in 1977. Mm. So she was also a beauty pageant contestant. She married John on November 5th, 1980, when she was 23 and he was 36. So there is a significant age difference between the two of them. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't. I just thought it was just add into everybody's little speculations and theories because everybody has their own little hypothesis on what happened. <sighs> so the incident. On Christmas night, 1996, the Ramses hosted a party with some friends but had put John Bonet to bed around 9 p.m. At 5 a.m. on the in the next morning, 
which would be 23 years ago today, Patsy found a two and a half page handwritten ransom note on the kitchen staircase. The note claimed that someone had kidnapped John Bonet, and according to Patsy, this is when she realized her daughter was missing. Though the note instructed against contacting the police, Patsy called the police at 5.52 a.m., so about an hour after she found the ransom note and, like, ran through the house to kind of see if she could find John Bonet. Yeah. Um, she called the police, and she also called some family and friends. Within three minutes of the call, two police officers arrived at the house and conducted a search and hadn't found any sign of forced entry. One of the officers, Officer Rick French, went to the basement in his search and came across a door that was latched shut and walked away without opening it. He explained afterwards he was looking for the kidnappers' escape route or their mode of entry. And since it was latched from the inside, it didn't seem likely that it would be either. Uh. <sighs> the note Patsy found demanded $118,000, which is $193,500 today or £150,000 today. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> and it happened to be the exact amount that John received in his Christmas bonus. Oh, interesting. So they just wanted his bonus money. Yeah. Allegedly. Uh, <laughs> Who outside the family would know he got that much money for a bonus, though? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. You're ruining. You're ruining it. Okay, I'm done. I'm sorry. <laughs> Soil, soiled it. Soiled it. Um, <laughs> John pointed out this fact to the police, which suggested that the person involved in the kidnapping would have access to his financial information. Uh-huh. For a time, they speculated that it would have been his his successor, but she was immediate, like she was ruled out because she was with somebody. She had an airtight alibi because she would be the only one to gain from that, I guess. Yeah. The notes stated that the kidnappers would call between 8 and 10 a.m. with further instructions on how to deliver them the money. As John started making arrangements to pay the ransom, a forensics team was sent to the house and they uh, quartered off John Bonet's room to prevent further contamination of the evidence. Then friends, the family's minister, and victim advocates arrived to support the family, the parents, and Burke. Um, the visitors began cleaning the kitchen, possibly des destroying evidence to try to be helpful to the family. Oh, yikes. Yeah. I mean, the whole um, house was a crime scene. I'm surprised they weren't, like, kicked out of their home for an investigation. Yeah, that would be one of the critiques that the police department would have later on. Detective Linda Arndt, I think that's how you say her last name. It's A-R-N-D-T. Arndt? Yeah, sounds about arrived, right. Yeah, <laughs> arrived at 8 a.m. to wait until the kidnappers contacted the family. The 8 to 10 a.m. window came and went, and the kidnappers never called. At 1 p.m., Detective Arndt asked John and a family friend, Fleet White, to go through the house again to see if anything else was missing or out of place. They started their search immediately in the basement, where John would open the overlooked latch door and find John Bonet's body in one of the rooms. <gasps> yeah, so that... The officer was critiqued for that, and he explained, like I said, that he was looking for a mode of entry or a way that they escaped. Yeah. So that was overlooked. John Bonet's body was found with duct tape over her mouth, nylon cords wrapped around her wrists and neck, and her body was covered with a white blanket. Mm. Distraught, John picked up his daughter and took her upstairs, further contaminating the crime scene and critical forensic evidence was disturbed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
I can't imagine finding, you know, mm. your dead six-year-old and you're finding, just... Yeah, finding your child like that. Your first thought isn't, oh, I shouldn't touch her. No. Because it might disrupt evidence. <laughs> your but, first thought is, oh my God, that's my baby. Yeah. So I kind of get it. <laughs> Each of the family members provided handwriting, blood, and hair samples to the forensic team. John and Patsy were interviewed for more than two hours, and Burke was interviewed within the first couple of weeks following his sister's death. Uh, the autopsy revealed that John Bonet was killed by strangulation and a skull fracture. Uh. There was no evidence of rape, but sexual assault could not be ruled out. Uh, there was semen found, but there was evidence of vaginal injury, and her vaginal area had appeared to be wiped, have been wiped with a cloth. Oh, God. Yep. And after the autopsy, surprise, surprise, her death was ruled as a homicide. Yeah, no shit. That kind of rhymed. I didn't mean for it to. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I think he say Garrett. Garrot, I'm sorry. I like knew how to say it. The garrot that was used to strangle John Bonet was made up of nylon cord and a broken handle of a paintbrush that was from Patsy's art supplies. So it's kind of like um, they wrapped the cord around her neck and then twisted the wooden um, part of the paintbrush mm, so that it would yeah. pull the cord around her neck tighter and tighter. Yeah. Because it's pretty hard to strangle a person. I guess even a child would be pretty hard to strangle as well but i know it's really it takes a lot of strength to strangle an adult so yeah. maybe the same as for a child the autopsy also showed that john bonnet consumed a vegetable or fruit similar to pineapple photographs of the house on the day her body was found showed a bowl of pineapple on the kitchen table with a spoon in it um john nor patsy remember putting the bowl on the table or feeding john bonnet pineapple uh, it was discovered that Burke's, her brother's, fingerprints were on the bowl, even though his parents claimed that he slept the entire night and wasn't woken up until the police arrived. <sighs> so the police went through several theories without any of them panning out. This thing that stood out the most, however, was the length of the ransom note. According to the FBI, the note was unusual, especially for it to have been written at the scene of the crime. Yeah. Um, like you're trying to kidnap a child and quickly get out of there. Why are you taking time to write a two and a half page letter or oh ransom note? Like if you had wrote it beforehand and then brought it, maybe. I mean, how much um, is there to say it's a ransom note? I have your daughter give me the money. Like what? I don't understand. What is there yeah. to say? There's a uh, I didn't write because <laughs> there's like such, so much. I was going to put the letter on our website. Okay. But right. a lot of it talks about like they're like a politically like affiliated group that's against like these like the capitalist establishment and that though they respect Mr. Ramsey, they don't respect the company for which is, you know, it stands for capitalism. Yeah. So that's what that was. It, w it went on about that. And the instructions not to call the police and that they took her daughter and implied that that they would kill her. And yeah, so I'll put like the whole letter on the uh, the blog, but there's just it's two and a half pages. So I'm like, I'll just write <laughs> yeah. the important stuff because it's just the whole thing is weird. So the authorities believe the note was staged, only Patsy's. And the investigator's fingerprints were found on the note. 
the use of the initials that they used and the exclamation points were also unusual. Uh, they found the note in a practice draft in the house and that they were written, they were both written with a pen and a pad of paper from the Ramsey home. Hmm. For a time, it was believed that Patsy wrote the note, but a federal court judge ruled it unlikely, uh, citing six certified hand uh, handwriting experts, although none of them had, not all of them had credentials. So it left room for public, the public to speculate, mm-hmm. which is why you always hear like, oh, Patsy wrote the letter. Yeah. You know. Also, handwriting forensics isn't accurate. <laughs> no, I mean, a person Just, could change their handwriting if they yeah. feel like they need to. Yeah, so it's it's not the most reliable thing, and I don't think it's admissible. It's still, I think, circumstantial. Mm-hmm. Um, these days, it's not. it doesn't hold as much weight as, let's say, like a psychological evaluation or something yeah, yeah. of that nature. By October 1997, the police had over 1,600 people that were of interest for the case. Holy uh, shit. Yeah. And that's almost the year, I guess, like 10 months after yeah. the murder occurred. They had 1,600 people <laughs> in their files. Uh, the errors that were made in the initial investigation, like the cop walk, like not looking at the like what was in the, behind the door or letting people into the house when the whole house should have been an active crime investigation, not just John Bonet's room. Uh-huh. <sighs> so all of those types of errors uh, complicated the murder investigation and would be used in future training of officers on what not to do in similar uh, situations. Of course. The errors resulted in loss and the, in the loss and contamination of evidence uh, which was due to the lack of experience and technical staff on the investigation. They also shared evidence with the parents and mm-hmm. delayed their informal interviews with the parents. So they did sit them down at, at the police station and interviewed them, but they didn't do like they delayed their initial interview of the parents like at the crime scene. Yeah. So that means that they that kind of insinuates that they had time to get their stories lined up. Uh-huh. <clears throat> The parents were the prime suspects, coupled with the speculation of sexual abuse. Uh, it added, and on top of the highly sexualized pageant photos that were circulating in the media, created this huge, like, tabloid dream uh, where everywhere there was John Bonet's face. Everybody was talking about it. Oh, yeah. People were talking about it, the public were talking about it, the media were talking about it, everybody was demanding who killed JonBenet, everybody had their own theories, like I said earlier, so it was just like a whirlwind, a shit show, <laughs> basically. Oh, yeah. Um, not the best of times. <laughs> um, and you. About six months after the murder in the summer of 1997, the Ramsey family moved to Atlanta after spending the summer in their holiday home. In Michigan. Oh, well, uh, excuse me. I mean, I'm sure they were trying to, like, protect Burke and get away from, like, the craziness of Boulder. And then they moved to Atlanta instead of yeah. moving back home. I guess. It sucks. <laughs> On September 15, 1998, a grand jury convened to consider indicting the Ramses for charges related to the case. 
1999, the grand jury returned with an indictment to charge them with placing John Bonet at risk that would lead her to her death and with obstructing the investigation. However, the district attorney at the time did not prosecute them, believing the state didn't have the evidence that would meet the standard of conviction, which is beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh-huh. So they kind of just were like, meh, we're not going to do it. Um, I'm sure they didn't go meh, but. <laughs> uh, no, I'm yeah. sure they were like, damn it, we just can't do it. We just can't do it, damn it. Damn it. Pats- Patsy and John Ramsey published a book in January 2001 telling their account of their daughter's murder and the response to her death. Uh, the proceeds of the book went to John Benet Ramsey's Children Foundation, which is now defunct. And there's a lot of speculation on how that really helped. I mean, I couldn't I find much information of it because it's defunct. So, I mean, what kind of charity would that even be? It's not like she uh, was trafficked or, you know. It helped like other children, I, I think. Like I said, it's defunct, so I couldn't find a lot of information on it. I'm also in a different country, so maybe I wouldn't have access to. I guess, I uh, guess some of it so maybe chelsea can look into it and see if she can find like an old website but as far as i can tell i don't know if it helps specifically with john bonnet's case or with other like children of crime or victims i don't know i never heard of it Patsy died of ovarian cancer at age 49 in 2009 and was buried next to her daughter i don't know why i put that there I try to put it in, like, chronological order as best as I could, but also try to keep it similar. (laughs) But we're going back to 2003 because I don't know why. Um, (laughs) In December 2003, forensic investigators were able to test blood found on John Bonet's underwear and discovered the DNA belonged to an unknown male person, and that meaning that it excluded the DNA of the Ramses. Uh-huh. Um, the DNA was submitted to the FBI's Combined DNA Index System, also known as CODIS. Okay. Um, for everybody who watches, like, NCIS, CSI, Criminal Minds, CODIS. But <laughs> a match was never found, so that just means that whoever did this hadn't had their DNA in the system to compare it to. So, unfortunately, that means they have to commit another crime and be caught mm-hmm. to have their DNA submitted to it. So we don't hope there's another crime committed, but it is the only way to f- really find out who yeah, so DNA is on her. Whoever did it had never committed a crime before to have their blood in the database. Yes. The next district attorney of Boulder County, Mary Lacey, publicly exonerated the Ramses uh, with the new DNA evidence. On August 15, 2006, 41-year-old elementary school teacher John Mark Carr was arrested in Bangkok, Thailand for confessing to the murder of John Bonet. He claimed to have drugged her, sexually assaulted her, and accidentally killed her in the process. However, the DNA evidence uh, and the lack of evidence at the scene doesn't link Carr to the crime, and there's there were also no signs of drugs in her system, so they think mm-hmm. that he was maybe coerced into, you know, yeah, doing doing that. And also, you don't go to Bangkok, Thailand, for nothing. <laughs> they have a lot of child uh, uh, yeah. prostitutes in Bangkok, so I can only speculate that that's why he was there. 
In October 2016, a new forensic analysis revealed that they went over again. So now you have more techniques. Uh, so they did the test again on the underwear and the new forensic analysis revealed that the original DNA contained genetic markers from two individuals other than JonBenet. Oh. Again, none of them matched any of the uh, Ramseys. As of September 2016, the murder of JonBenet Ramsey continues to be an active homicide case. It did go cold for a while and then they reopened it in September 2016. According to a January 2019 article from Rolling Stones, longtime suspect of the murder, Gary Oliva, confessed to accidentally murdering John Bonet in a series of letters he sent to a friend. Oliva <laughs> is currently a convicted pedophile, serving a 10 year sentence for possession of child pornography, uh, attempting to sexually exploit a child, and succeeding to exploit. Uh, sexually ex uh, exploit another child. Oliva is a registered sex offender that is up for parole in 2020. The Boulder Police Department is aware of his confession or, and are looking into his involvement, although it seems to be another false confession like John Mark Carr. Mm. Throughout the years, the Ramses were, of course, involved in several defamation suits, either against them or on behalf of them. Everybody pointing fingers on how you made me seem like a bad person. Yeah. No, you made me seem like a bad person. It was all a mess. It was a shit show. <laughs> was it like defamation suits of the family against each other or the family against other people? It was like the family against like networks that were trying to like, like Fox Network and oh, CNN. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, like outlets like, that were, okay. Defaming their character. And then when they released their book... There were people who were named in their book as suspects who filed suits against them. Mm -hmm. But because a lot of it was, I think those suits were dropped, I want to say, because I think their names were already listed in public areas in Boulder. So I'm not sure. Yeah. It's just everybody was just like, you're making me look bad. You're ruining my life. <laughs> like a mm. child is dead. Okie doke. So unsurprisingly, like I said, the media and the public would be fascinated and obsessed with this case, especially with the image of JonBenet circulating. Uh, the images of her and her pageant get up would spark controversy and would be a hot topic of debate about child beauty pageants. Oh. Uh, we've all heard the stories. Like I said, the pageant moms, children being forced to look like grown women and yeah. All of this stuff. And like I said, John Bonet apparently really loved doing it. She would talk about how she couldn't wait to grow up and be able to wear the fancy gowns and all of that. So she was really into it. Mm -hmm. The tabloids in public would keep the story alive for nearly two years after the murder. And people still today kind of hear it. I grew up hearing about John Bonet's Yep, me murder. too. You did. It was like everybody was all about this case. So I'm going to talk about some of the media aspects of the case. So first up, we have Perfect Murder, Perfect Town, which was released in 2000. It was a television miniseries directed by Lawrence Schiller. The documentary is based off of a book of the same name by Schiller and includes historic news and talk show footage and covers the case in great detail it's available on youtube 
And because it's like a little series, the whole thing is three hours. So I was like, I'm going to watch that later. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> a lot. I really have time to watch it in all my heartstrings and Bob's Burgers marathon I had. I mean, I watched <laughs> I watched a three hour special on Thomas Capano. So, uh, Chelsea's more invested in this apparently. <laughs> She's trying to one up me. Actually, I tried really hard looking for it, and then I was like, YouTube's not going to have it. Like on the last like an hour before <laughs> before we started recording, I was like, fuck, it was there. I could have watched it this morning. Damn it. Uh, it got a 6.2 on IMBD and a 93, uh, whoops, a 92% Google score. And the book got a 3.7 out of 5 on Goodreads. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Getting Away with Murder, the John Bonet mystery, also in 2000, was a, docu- a docudrama t- television movie. Oh, ooh. That was a mouthful. I know. I was like, ooh, how do you say that? Docudrama television movie. Based on the murder, directed by Edward Lucas. I don't know why I'm talking like that. It <laughs> aired on Fox. I thought it was going to be like a Lifetime movie. Um, yeah. I was proved wrong. It got a 5.9 on IMBD and no other ratings. Then I have the bo- John Bonet and Patsy Bonet. Uh, their book, The Death. It's called The Death of Innocent. John Bonet's Parents Tell Their Story, which was released in 2001. It got a 3.58 out of 5 on Goodreads. It, like I said earlier, it's John Bonet's parents answering their accusers by sharing their emotions and reflections and also revealing their own theories about the crime. Mm. Um, yeah, let's just capitalize on our daughter's murder by publishing our own book well, about it. Well, you know, they put, the proceeds went to that foundation. I don't know. But the foundation Patsy's- is defunct. <laughs> Patsy's been dead for 10 years, so I don't think she's reaping the awards on that. And I mean, also, I read a little bit about the foundation uh, after you mentioned it, and it was absolutely a bullshit foundation. It was uh-huh. nothing. It was probably uh, just a way to funnel money back to themselves. Probably. John's still alive. He's like 75, I think, now. Damn. Um. Yeah. And then there we have America's 60 greatest greatest. That's wow. Word. English? America's, that's French. Gradius. Um, America's 60 greatest. God. Wow. Greatest. greatest. It's hard. 60 greatest unsolved mysteries and crimes, which aired in 2015 on episode 10 of their countdown. John Bonet Ramsey uh, is listed as their number three case. And it discussed the mystery behind the case for about 12 minutes before continuing on with their countdown. So it's not like a bunch of information. Um, mm-hmm. It's the same episode where they talk about the conspiracy of JFK's assassination and Area 51. So I don't know. <sighs> I yeah. watched it. I was like, OK, weird, but OK. Um, <laughs> um, interesting that they would lump those things together. It's fine. It's in their countdown. Okay. It was number three. Um, the case of John Bonet, uh, which aired in 2016, was a documentary miniseries mini about the murder that aired on CBS. It got a 7.2 on IMBD, which is good, but a 33% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is not good. Uh, uh, no. But 86% on Google score. So, Google coming in for the win. 
Maybe check it out. Google score and IMBD says it's good. Rotten Tomatoes is always wrong. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, Sometimes Rotten Tomatoes right. is always the harshest. It's always the harshest. They go in for the kill. But then mm-hmm. they give, like, the shape of water. Like, wait, did they? I think they gave them a good score. And I was like, that movie was so fucking weird. I don't know. I didn't watch that movie, even though it was nominated for a ton of awards. It's okay. You didn't need to watch it. it okay. Great. That's fine. Um, <laughs> and then we have the big one, which some people know about, which is Casting John Bonet 2017. It is a Netflix film. It's still available. Ooh. I actually watched it when it started watching it when it came out and then failed at finishing it and then started watching it again and then failed at finishing it. And then I finally finished it for this episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, not I'm because so it was bad. Not because it was bad, but because... You just lose track of things, you know? It's kind of like, do I really want to listen about, like, a child dying? Not today. (laughs) Maybe tomorrow. It's one of those things that you need to be in the right frame of mind to watch, and you're rarely ever in the right frame of mind to watch something like that. Yeah. Murder. As we listen to podcasts about murder and ghosts all the time. It's different. It's Um, not the same. (laughs) It's not the same. This documentary was written, directed by Kitty Green. So, yeah, a woman. Um, it documents several Colorado-based act. Wait, have you seen this? No, I haven't. I haven't even heard of it. Oh I love it. Um, it documents several Colorado-based actors being interviewed and tested for the roles of real-life people involved in the case, including John Patsy Burke and John Bonet Ramsey, John Mark Carr, and some police officials. So, basically... If that didn't make sense. Um, (laughs) It's really interesting. It's a really weird way of weird and different way of kind of doing a documentary. So essentially, these people who are Colorado based actors Uh are coming in to audition for the roles of people that I like the Ramsey family and police officials. And because they're Colorado based, they have their own stories about the Ramsey case. Yeah. So they do their audition. Some parts of it do show like them reading from scripts and stuff. And other parts of it is them, their take on the case, their own theories about what happened. Some of them also kind of talk about why it's personal to them or why they have like a connection to the case from their own personal experiences. I really love the film. Uh, because they discuss like their own feelings about the case and their own speculations. Yeah. And I think it's a really interesting way to kind of tell the story and not a, like, oh, we're just going to throw up some newsreels. And you could, I mean, you can't really interview Patsy anymore because she's dead. But I mean, I'm it sure would be John, a little difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Seance, anybody? Um, <laughs> no, thank you. That would be a you. really, really weird time for my lights to, like, flicker back on. And be like, ah, I'm just going to leave. <laughs> that uh, is how you invite <laughs> demons, and I'm really not about that. It's a no for me. Oh, my God, that's what it was. What? What, what was? Remember you said I had, like, a catchphrase. <laughs> it's a no for me. <laughs> it's a no for me. <laughs> it's a no for me is my yeah. catchphrase. So I really liked it. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, they think they're auditioning for this film, but it's not a, It's not going to happen. Um, I wish so, they did, though. It so the, good. it's a documentary telling people that they're being cast for this fake movie just yes. to interview them for their opinions. Yes. So there is no movie at the end of it like that they're being cast for. 
No, and I think that's the reason why a lot of people don't like it. <laughs> okay. It's weird because I'm watching it and I'm like, okay, well, what's happening? But there are, okay, so here's the thing. There are a couple scenes that they do, like, put in there, like, throughout the movie to kind of just show you, like, what part of they're going to be discussing. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it sh- starts with the police car, like, the super 90s police car rolling up to the house on Christmas, the day after Christmas. And it was, uh, she was deemed to have died on Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometime between the 9 o'clock that she was put to bed and midnight, she was dead. Oh, my um, God. Dun, dun, dun. So it does show, like, two police officers coming up to, the like, this really nice house. It's, like, snow. It's very pi- picturesque. And they do read from their scripts, and you kind of know what's happening like as you follow along in the story yeah and their interviews and stuff it's it's just really interesting it's so different i mean i wouldn't take it as like actual fact because it's everybody's speculation but i think it's an interesting documentary on how this has affected like the colorado community yeah Um, i mean everyone has their own opinions on what happened especially with unsolved cases like that like you know everyone in town forms their own opinions and they feel like they know wholeheartedly who did it so it's i mean that's got to be really interesting to hear their own candid opinions like that it's and they said there was a couple things that they did say that were pretty interesting that they went through i really really loved the last scene of the film was they had all of the uh the Patsy and John actors. Yeah, the people uh, that auditioned. That were auditioning for that role. All kind of acting out this um, different scenarios involving the two of them between like, and they it, it's like a camera starts like in the bedroom and you see a bunch of different Patsy's and John's going through different scenarios, going into the hallway and into John Bonet's room, just all one take. Uh-huh. And it was interesting, like visually it was really interesting, and I liked it, so. Yeah. So does it, like, <laughs> imply that they murdered her, or is it just, like... I mean, there are some people that speculate, like, when they talk about, uh, like, the actors and stuff talk about it. The documentary itself doesn't speculate that any of those people were the culprit. Yeah. It kind of just incorporates everybody's kind of theory in there in an equal equal way. So I, I don't know. It's pretty interesting. I liked there's a <clears throat> a couple of things that were said in there that I didn't find anywhere else, which is good because like all these people are speculating and most of them of the rumors and stuff obviously start within the community. Oh, yeah, definitely. And they might not have made national news, but they might have made local news. Uh, but one of the things before I get into that is uh, they had because a lot of people thought maybe Burke, the nine year old. Uh had murdered his sister and a lot of people were were saying it might have been him like you're trying to protect your child and that's why you're covering for him and other people were saying they can't imagine a nine-year-old being able to cause that head injury to because her head and her skull fracture was pretty intense yeah um that a nine-year-old would be strong enough to do it so they had each of the nine-year-old actors attempt to break a small water watermelon because apparently it has the same, like if you can break a watermelon, that's yeah, exactly like the same what a, same strength like, of a skull. Yeah, um, with a flashlight because it's thought that maybe she was hit over the head with a flashlight to see if they had the strength to break that watermelon, and all but one of them were able to do it. 
And then, so that kind of... So that kind of, like, disproved the point that a child that of that age of couldn't... Act- yeah. Whether that's, like, scientifically val- valid or not, I don't know. But it was kind of weird because one of the kids ate, like, part of the watermelon. And I was oh. like, mm, mm. you don't know why you're doing this, but that's... I do. And it's kind of icky. A little <laughs> icky, yeah. A little but, icky. I mean, I don't know. I... I'm not sure if I believe that a child of that age, like her brother, a child of her brother's age, would know how to strangle her like that. Like, that's something that only an adult would know to do, in my opinion. Yes. I could see the head injury because, like, a month before he had hit her with, I think, a golf club. Ooh, and that's, it could have um, been just because the kids were playing. I mean, I, that's I a bit much for sibling rivalry. That's Yeah, but I can tell you that when we found my dad's golf clubs, <laughs> we definitely were like, yes, we hit the jackpot. Did you maybe. hit Lonnie? I didn't hit him with it. But I did break a light bulb one time and Lonnie <laughs> had to walk over glass that he cut his foot. So... Mm. I could see how they were. Pl- they might have found like a golf club and were playing around, and he like swung it and hit her in the face. Yeah, no, that's or understandable. The head or whatever. But I don't know about this. Uh, one of the people, a couple people had said like talked about how there was like a rumor of a child porn ring in the area, which is always like a ooh gossip. I mean, that's always a terrifying thing too. Like, there's rumors going around right now in our hometowns back in Delaware that there's active child sex traffickers um there in delaware is, which anybody, is anybody <laughs> speculating at really terrifying i worked in dfs department of family services there is terrifying yes there are children prostitutes or i'm sorry sex workers um no I when it comes I don't think you call to them it sex comes... workers i think you can call them child yeah, sex. you you call them child prostitutes. A sex worker is, is an adult that <laughs> yeah. chooses that because they have no other option. This is a child that was kidnapped and is being forced to do this. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so there's lots of people who talk about how there was a child porn ring and that the party that they had on Christmas, the Ramses, was like a cover-up so that the pedophiles could have their way with their daughter or something and then things went wrong and... They try to cover it up, like maybe they hit her over the head and then they she wasn't dying fast enough. So then they strangled her. I don't know. I mean, it that, weird. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a murder, so nothing should seem far fetched, but that seems far fetched. Yeah. Or somebody wanted to kill her and hit her on the head. She was still conscious and then strangled her. Uh Dun, dun, dun. Strangulation is really personal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there was a Santa Claus at the party, and everybody apparently thinks Santa Clauses are pervy. Um, my pop-up was a Santa Claus for, like, my whole life. I mean, he, le- he definitely looked the part. I've seen pictures of your grandpa. He would never. So they're not pervy, okay? They have extensive background checks, especially these days. Oh, yeah. Fun fact, I actually learned this from the documentary. Apparently, they wear white gloves because it's easy to see where their hands are. Interesting. Okay. Kind of gross, but also that's the world we live in. So, yep. mm, I mean, we have an entire podcast dedicated to disgusting human beings. So, yeah. So, everybody's favorite, a part of this, 
of this case was Patsy Ramsey. She's apparently the one that looked the most guilty. So she's actually portrayed more times uh, in other media things. So she was actually portrayed in episodes 417 and 502 and on Mad TV. Uh, yeah. Family and a Family Guy episode, Brian Wallows and Peter's Swallows. Um, well, that's a bit too close for comfort. <laughs> well, it's Peter's like ownership is Swallows like birds. Okay. Um, so he owns the birds. Um, <laughs> I know. I had to reread it, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and in the 2001 South Park episode, Butter's very own episode, which strongly implies that Patsy and John were responsible for John Bonet's death. In 2011, the show's creators apologized to the family for the betrayal. Portrayal. Um, so so you 10 can years later, they were like, hey, guys, we're sorry. Yeah. I guess, like, after all the DNA analysis and stuff came out. And Patsy was already dead at this point, so she couldn't obviously hear that. Yeah. So all of these portrayals of her are put her in really, really bad light. I mean, uh, my own personal opinions on South Park are not good. But regardless, I know it's a crass show and they comment on <laughs> current events happening. But that's too soon. That's a child murder. Too soon. Too I mean, soon. everybody thought Patsy did it. And now there's, like, DNA evidence that kind of shows that she most likely didn't do it. So that was all I had on the case. It just, it all sounds very weird and icky and very, like, conspiracy, like, it's fuel for conspiracy theories. Oh, absolutely. Uh, As I was reading it, I couldn't help but put a lot of parallels to the, what's the case, Madeline McCann, I think. Oh, yeah, Madeline. we'll get to her later. Yeah, we'll get to that. But everything just like the theatrical parents, the press conferences, the contamination, mm-hmm. just all of it, like the poor police, everything that we'll talk about in a f- future episode. It just reminds me so much like as like because I've never really read as much into the John Bonet case, but I've actually really researched Madeline McCain's case a lot. <laughs> Um, since I learned about it, so I was like, it's like I'm reading almost a similar case. That's very similar, but I didn't know a whole lot about this case either before today. <laughs> um, it was something that my mom followed really closely. Like I said, I mean, John Bonet wasn't much older than than you and I were growing up, so yeah. my mom, like any any case about children and children, you know, that were harmed or killed my mom like her heart just broke and she followed the cases really closely just to put it out there uh John Bonet would have been 29 this year uh-huh. um I don't know where John or Burke are and honestly my mom and I had like a whole entire conversation uh within the last year before I left here I don't know if it was last Christmas time like winter or summer I don't know and we had, like, a whole conversation about the John Bonet case. Like, we were going in. Like, we were having, like, own little conspiracy theory fest. And I was like, you know what? I know what. I know exactly what happened. I know <laughs> it. I Call was the like, police. I know who did it. I know who did it. It was Burke. And I was like, why would two people cover up the death of their child? And if I was their like, other child did it, maybe. Is to protect, to protect their other child. Because remember, John Law had 
only lost he lost his 22 year old daughter four years prior to John Bonet's death so he's already lost the child oh wow I didn't realize his I mean you said it in the beginning that he had adult children from another marriage but I didn't mm -hmm. realize how much older his older children were remember he's 13 he's 13 years older than Patsy yeah so yeah so he had a daughter who was 22 she died in 1992 uh and then John Bonet dies at the age of six in 1996. Yeah, so I thought if two parents are united in covering the murder of one of their children, it has to be either because they're they're protecting their other child or both of them are complicit in some kind of crime. Like, mm-hmm. was John Ramsey really sexually assaulting his daughter and Patsy in a rage either accidentally killed her daughter or was jealous of her daughter because sometimes you do hear about i mean moms be killing their kids all the time so they can be with men but i mean yeah there's i don't know what it's called but there's like some kind of condition in women where i forget like if their husband my criminology notes (laughs) like if their husbands are sexually assaulting their daughters instead of having you know sympathy for their daughters they're jealous of them because they blame their daughters for it too yeah they're like it's so, sick. It's disgusting. But yeah, I know I what you're talking about. I would think that if he was sexually assaulting her, she killed her either by accident or on purpose because of that. When she yeah. was trying to kill John or something. I mean, I that, think it was definitely in the family. I, I I, mean, there was no forced entry. There was no one else coming in or out of the house. All the doors were locked, all that. It's definitely somebody in the family. Yeah. So I figured they were both covering for each other. Kind of like if you go down, I'm taking if you. If I go down, down, I'm taking, taking you, you with me. Yeah. Yeah. And they have to stay together for Burke or something like that. But because of the DNA and everything, it kind of makes it seem like maybe somebody else was involved. Maybe there was somebody with like a spare key or something. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe because of that party, they were able to. That's kind true. Of I mean, there was a party before. Do something to like take somebody's key or or something and so there wouldn't be forced entry because they would just be able to unlock the door uh-huh. and somebody who John Bonet knew would be you know would trust them yeah so there's a whole lot of speculation we could go on and on and on and on and on about it they never get anywhere because they haven't found the murderer and if it was one of their parents one of them's dead and the other one's not talking anytime soon Nope. So that's all I have on John Bonet on our Christmas special. Uh, oh, Merry <laughs> Christmas, everybody! <laughs> everybody's super excited, uh, super happy. Got you all pumped up <laughs> as you play with all of your Christmas toys. I was about to say, I hope you guys had a really great Christmas yesterday. And yeah, and as you have sorry. like this nosedive <laughs> of the story. And everybody's sad. Uh, (laughs) If you enjoyed this episode of Dinner and a Murder, please subscribe and tell your friends to tune in for more information about the John Bonet case, including the letter I sent and the movies I talked about and that restaurant Chelsea went to about the basketballs or something. The Shoots Brewery. The Shoots Brewery. Please check out our website. Also, please rate and review us on Facebook and iTunes. It helps so much to get good reviews. You guys have no idea. Um, We would really appreciate your feedback. 
If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or just want to leave a suggestion, you can message us on our Facebook or email us at dinnerandamurderpod at gmail.com. Don't forget to send your stories, guys. Don't, don't, don't. Don't forget. Yes, send us your stories. Um, There's still time to get them in for our January listener episode. So get those into us. We love hearing from you guys. If you would like to help us keep this podcast going, please consider joining our Patreon. We have some really cool treats for you if you do. There's also other ways to support us if you would prefer, which you can find on our website. All the links that we've mentioned are in our link tree uh, in the description. Please be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next Thursday. Signing off on 2009. Well, almost. We have one more. Wait, no. Yeah, our next Tea Time and Crime comes out on New Year's Eve. Oh, that's right. So then we'll be signing that off on <laughs> So next episode yes. will be our last like episode episode of 2019. And then we'll be back on that following Tuesday. Right. I completely forgot. I'm Whatever. sorry. Whatever. We'll Gosh. see you next year, guys. <laughs> so uh, all according to this little cross stitch that I got for Christmas. Uh-huh. Um, a Bon appétit. Bon appétit. Yay. Bye. Bye.